But no, it's grad Sunday, and as you can tell by the amount of gifts, that we have 12 grads graduating this year. And it's crazy to see how they've grown up, how they're changing. And what, every time there's a grad service or any time we're close to graduation, I always think back to my first few years in college, the first time I left the house. For some of you, that's that was recent. Some of you, that's further, further away in the past. But for me, I always like to think back to what life was like when I first graduated from high school and went into college. And I, and I thought of a few life lessons I could share with our grads today, since they're graduating, going off to the real world. And the first thing that I thought I could help the grads with is many of our grads will be doing laundry for the first time. And so if they don't want to end up like this guy right here, then make sure that you keep your whites and your reds separate when you put them in the wash. Life lesson I've learned in college. Another life lesson I learned was I, I learned many lessons on cooking. I'm a horrible cook. I had never cooked before. That is not actually me, but that is close to what it's like when I cook. And what I learned in, in college is most of the food you make is in the microwave. And what I learned was you can't put metal in the microwave unless you want a fire to happen, the smoke alarms to happen, and everyone to freak out at you. So make sure don't put metal in your microwave. Um, another college life lesson I learned was don't sign up for too many classes. The, the workload will be way more difficult than it was in high school. But if you do sign up for classes, make sure you don't sleep in. Make sure you actually go. I know that you can, in this phase of your life, stay up until like 12 o'clock at night. I know that you can stay up till 5 in the morning playing video games, but it doesn't mean you actually should. And that's something I learned the hard way. Um, another thing, and this is probably the most important lesson I can remind you of today, is that all the money you borrow whether it's student loans, whether it's, it's credit card money that you're borrowing, it all may seem like free money now, but eventually you're going to have to pay it back. The money that you borrow, they actually want back, and if you take a long time to pay it back, they'll charge you even more money. I don't get it, but that's how it works. And so I'd encourage you, don't go off and buy 14 TVs. You don't need them right now. I know that they're going to offer you a credit card, but it doesn't mean you should take them. So some of you guys were laughing. Some of you guys are like, it hurt when I said that because you're reminded of how much money you're still paying your college that you went to 20 years ago. Or, or maybe whether it's even you're a college or maybe you're a parent and you're thinking about, oh, man, I have to pay for my kid's tuition. What are we going to do? You've already sold your Corvette and are driving in a 1982 minivan or something. And so some of you here, regardless of if you are a, a parent of a college grad if, uh, or a high school grad, if you're um, a, a high school grad yourself, if you're just a person, all of us could probably relate to the fact that we all could use a little more money. Does anyone here today say that a little, bit of, a little more money would help me out a long way? It could go a long way, just a little bit more money. Would anyone say that? Only three people raised their hands. So everyone who didn't raise your hand, I would love to have some of your extra money. You can see me after service. Checks me out to Jim R. Priester. But, um, but no, I think most of us could relate to ha or could use a little more cash. It could help us ha have ends meet. And there was a guy named Tom Christ who actually had some extra cash come his way. But what he did with it was different than I think most of us here would do. Tom Christ was enjoying a trip to California. And he was having a lunch in Palm Springs when he got a phone call that could have changed his life. He got a phone call from the officials with the lottery in Western Canada, and they told him he won $40 million. Wow, that's a good phone call. And so 
He receives this phone call, and instead of doing what I would have done, which is pay off my debt and make a big plan for shopping sprees, he does something a little different with the money. Let's take a look. I'm going to play the video. Time to check the pulse. And we start with an extremely charitable lottery winner in Calgary, Canada. Tom Christ wore a hat and sunglasses to have a promotional picture taken by lottery officials. Listen to this. Back in May, he won $40 million, but he didn't tell anyone about it, not even his kids. Chris says he's going to donate every bit of his winnings to charity. As I got that call, I knew where the money was going to go. Um, through my career, 44 years with the company, I did very well for myself. I've done enough that I can look after myself, uh, my kids, so they can get looked after in the future. Um, I don't really need that money. Chris lost his wife to cancer nearly two years ago. He says cancer charities are at the top of his list. Wow, what a guy. What a guy. Time to check the pulse. And we start with an extremely charitable lottery. Thank you, guys. (laughs) It was really good. Let's watch it one more time. He's probably thinking it's way more interesting than the sermon, so let's get it going. No, but it's awesome to see what Tom did with that money. See, Tom won the lottery. He won that $40 million. It was his lottery victory, but he made his victory become the charity's victory. Because see, what he did was he took the $40 million and he didn't spend it himself, but he gave it to charity. His victory became a charity's victory. Now, Tom's victory um, became the charity's victory, but I'm sure the charities would have still functioned without that money, though I'm sure it made their jobs a lot easier, a lot easier to fundraise and less money they needed to raise. But they could have probably still functioned without Tom's victory becoming their victory. But all of us here need someone to be victorious for us. We need someone's victory to become our victory. We need someone's victory to, to, to become our victory so that we can function, so that we can have hope. We need someone to win a victory for us so that we could escape uh, an, uh, eternal death, so that we could escape sin, eternal death, and separation from God. Now, many of our grads, hopefully, are, are thinking about those type of things as they're about to go off into the next phase of life. Hopefully they're thinking through things like like sin and death and Jesus and religion and what they want to do with their life and what does it mean to follow God or do they want to follow God. I'm sure many of our, our grads and maybe many of you here today are thinking through those things. Many will many of our grads are probably thinking, will I continue to follow Christ after I leave the house? Will I continue to serve God when I'm not with my parents? And maybe many of you here today who aren't grads are are at church today and you're thinking, will I continue to follow God when I leave this church building? Do I want to follow Christ? Maybe you're here today and you haven't accepted Christ and you're thinking, do I want to follow Christ when I leave this building? Many of our grads and many other people might be thinking, um, how can I follow Jesus when I leave the house? How can I follow Jesus when I leave this church? Many of our grads might be thinking today, I want to follow God, but I don't think I can. I think the temptations will be too great. I think that the opportunities will be too great. I think I won't be able to follow Christ when I leave the house. And maybe many of you here today, maybe you're a new believer and you say, I want to follow Christ but it's been difficult, and I don't know, how can I keep following Jesus Christ? when I, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, but it gets harder and harder and harder. Or maybe you're here and you've been a Christian for a really long time, 
but circumstances have come up. Life has not gone the way that you hoped it would. And you're there and you're thinking, I don't know if I can continue to fight all these things on my own. I don't think I continue, I can continue to press on. I don't think I can overcome anything else. I don't know if I can keep following God. Many of us here today probably have some giant in our life we need to overcome, and we're not sure if we can do it on our own. What's crazy is that is exactly where Israel found themselves 3,000 years ago. They had a giant that they needed to defeat. And just like Tom Christ's victory uh, became the, the charity's victory, this nation of Israel needed someone to win a victory for them. They needed some, a substitute to come and to win a victory that could become their victory. And this substitute pointed to a true and better substitute. The nation of Israel, like I said, was at war with the Philistines, and they were uh, and they were fighting um, this other army. The Israel army stood at one side of the mountain, and the Bible tells us that the Israel army was there, and they were prepared, and they were on one side of the mountain. And then you go down, and there's a valley, and on the other side of the mountain was the Philistine army. And the two of them, they just stood there, and they were kind of like staring at each other, but neither one was ready to make the first move. Neither one was ready to attack. And so one day, the Israel army was sitting, watching, and they saw something in the distance. It looked like two men were approaching. Now, one of these men, one of the, the first man, was a, a regular man holding a giant shield. And the man behind him was the man which that shield belonged to. And so the Israelites were sitting there and they were watching and they saw as they were watching these two men get closer and closer and closer and closer. And as these two men got closer and closer, the man, the second man got taller and taller and taller. And with each step the, the, the men took, the Israelites became more and more and more afraid. And so finally, these two men come up to the Israel army, and what the Israel army sees terrifies them. They're completely afraid. They're so afraid and intimidated. It was far worse than what they thought when they saw him walking far away. But this man was not an ordinary man, the second man. This man was a nine-foot-tall man. That is a big dude. And so they see this man, this man named Goliath, who's nine feet tall, who's a beast among men. And he challenges them and he says, I want one of you guys, your strongest, your best man, to fight me. And whoever wins that fight will win the war. Let's not decide the war by two armies fighting. Let's, kill, let's decide it man versus man. The winner will decide the fate of the war. And what the Bible says is this, that when they heard that, when Saul, who was the king, and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Not one of their finest moments. So could you imagine if someone like this, um, if next, yeah, someone like this, this guy is not nine feet tall, but he was the scariest dude I could see. Could you imagine if someone like this came into the back of the service and said, all right, I'll fight one of you. Who would stand up and go and fight him? No one raises their hand. No, I would have a two-step plan for how to deal with a guy like this. If he said, I want to fight one of you, the first thing I would do is pee my pants. The second thing I would do is run out of that exit right there. And probably the third thing I'd do would call my mommy and say, I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> and what's crazy is that is essentially what Israel did. They, they peed their pants, they ran away, and they called their mommies. The Bible says that 
The Israelites ran in fright. It's the quote from the Bible. They ran in fright. The Israelites cowered in fear because they couldn't face this giant. They knew they couldn't beat him. They needed someone else to come and fight this giant for them. They were too afraid. Not a single man stepped up in the entire army. But what's crazy is this guy was, this Goliath, this giant, was challenging the promises of God. See, they knew that to be a part of God's plan, they should have this land. They knew that God had called them to have this land, and yet they were still afraid to fight. See, they knew it was God's plan for their lives to have this land. But they also knew that that giant was really, really tall, really, really big, and really, really powerful. And so... We can infer from their inaction, from their lack of action, we can infer that they were starting to debate, do I want to continue to follow God? Or is this giant too big to overcome? Will I give up on following God's plan because there's a big giant in my way? And so in their biggest moment of need, one boy steps up and to, to help them out. One boy steps up to face the giant, and this boy's name is David. And David was a, a smaller guy, but he thought that he could risk his life, that he would risk his life so that his victory could become his nation's victory. And so David goes up to King Saul, and I love, how, I love this verse. It says right here in verse 32, he tells King Saul, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Like, don't worry about the trash. I'll take it out later. Like, it's no big deal. I'm like, this is a nine-foot giant. Everyone's peeing their pants and running away. And David's like, don't worry. I got this. It's, it's okay. I'll take it. And so David, who wasn't the biggest guy, challenges Goliath. He doesn't have iron or armor. He doesn't have weapons. All he has is a slingshot and some stones. And so the Bible shares this, uh, this scene with us. Here's what it says. It first goes into what David, uh, first it goes into David's speech where he calls out the giant. He says this, he says, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds of the animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. That is crazy harsh. And uh, he goes, put that on a greeting card. I'll cut off your head and send it to birds. Not a hallmark, not a hallmark card right there. And he goes, and then everyone assembled will hear, assembled here will know that the Lord God rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give us to you. So David leads off with that awesome speech and we hear his speech. And then the Bible goes and shows us the actual battle. It goes in and says that as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into a shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with, with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sucked in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. Sound effect not included. David risked his life to defeat the giant. His victory immediately became his people's victory. And when I read this story, to me, I get super pumped. My adrenaline starts rushing. It's just as a guy, I don't know, but I start to get super pumped. I feel like I'm watching Rocky IV. Has anyone seen Rocky IV? I love this movie. And so there's this big Russian that like kills Apollo Creed, basically kills Rocky's friend. And Apollo goes up, or I'm sorry, Rocky goes up to fight the Russian. And every time I watch this, I can't sit on the couch. I stand up and I start boxing with Rocky. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, go like that. I'm a Southpaw too. And so I start boxing with Rocky and I get pumped and Rocky knocks down the Russian and I start cheering and I run around and Allison uh, goes in the other room and pretends she doesn't know me. 
And I get like this adrenaline rush. And the same thing happens when I read the story of David and Goliath. I get super excited. I get pumped. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I'm going to be like David. I'm going to like go and I'm going to destroy all the giants. I'm going to destroy anything that comes in my path. I'm going to own this Christian walk. I go and I hear sermons about David. I read the story about David and I get pumped and excited. And I go, there's nothing too big. There's no challenge. No Goliath too great. I will take it down. But then... Like five minutes later, I mess up and I'm like, I messed up again and I fail and I fail and I fail and I fail. I struggle with the same sin over and over again. I can't handle success well. I can't handle failure well. I can't handle um, pride issues. I have all these different Goliaths that come and knock me down. And I think, what happened? Why am I not being like David? Why are these Goliaths tripping me up? Why do I turn from God in times of suffering? Why do I turn from God when, in times of where I'm being very successful? Why do I struggle with the same temptations over and over and over again? I read this story and I want to be David. I get pumped about being David. But when I go to fight the Goliaths, many times they knock me down. And I'm sure many of you here today that desire to follow God have known that to be true in your own life. You're inspired. You want to take down the glass. You want to live for God. But oftentimes you get knocked down over and over and over again. You find certain temptations that that knock you out at the same time over and over again. You find certain situations always get you down. It doesn't. You have a hard time going through suffering. You have a hard time going through success. You find the Goliath of of temptation. You find the Goliath of lust, pride, or doubt it will always knock you down. You try to live a good life. You try to be David. You try to slay all the Goliaths. But over and over again, it's the other way. It happens the other way where the Goliath slays you. And deep down, you're really afraid that people will know who you really are. That you're really afraid that people will see that you're not nearly as godly as you pretend to be. For some of our graduates, I think this is the real reason you don't think that you can follow Jesus when you leave home. You look at how you've tried to follow him with your parents' help, with this youth group and with um, the church that you have here, and you think, I've done such a horrible job following him now. How will I ever follow him when I'm on my own? We read the story of David. We get pumped and we try to be David, but ultimately not a single person of us, is not a single person here can. None of us can live up to the story of David. None of us can defeat all the giants. We fail, we mess up, and we sin. And that's where our problem lies. See, we all mess up. We all sin. None of us can defeat all the Goliaths. But God has called us to be perfect and to never mess up once. We can't sin even once. If we were to have one Goliath knock us down, if we were to have once, if we were to sin once, if we were to turn our backs on God just one time, then we would have eternal punishment. We were to have, spend life in hell, eternal life in hell. If we messed up once, if we weren't perfect, just one time, if there was one Goliath that tripped us up, all of us would be in hell, to have eternal punishment in hell. Now, some of you really don't like the idea of punishment in hell. Some of you here are really offended that I would believe in a place like hell. But I want you guys to think about this. If our God is perfect, if Jesus is a perfect God, then he must be perfectly just. And would a just judge allow a criminal free 
No, a just judge would sentence the criminal for crime. How, if you went to a court and someone had done something awful against your family, there's clear evidence that they had done it, and the judge says, I'll let you go free. Would you guys like that? No, you would freak out. You, can't st- you wouldn't be able to stand it. We as a, a nation, especially in America, can't stand when injustice happens. And so if God is completely just, if God is perfectly just, then if there is a crime, he must give the criminal the punishment or he isn't just anymore. For him to do that, for him to let us off easy, it would say that our God isn't a just God. And so when when he sees our sin, which sin is so um, horrible in God's eyes, sin is so horrible in comparison to how perfectly righteous our God is, that sin's punishment is eternal death. And so if our God is just, then he must give us the punishment we deserve. All of us, if we are just tripped up by one Goliath, we deserve eternal death. That's where we're at. We deserve eternal death. And like I said, to avoid punishment, to avoid hell, we need to be perfect. But like I also said, none of us can be the perfect David who defeats all the Goliaths. None of us can be the perfect David who never sins. None of us can can live that kind of life. Even David himself couldn't be the true and better David. Even David himself couldn't be a perfect David. Even David himself couldn't slay all the Goliaths in his life. David slayed the physical and literal Goliath, but there were Goliaths of lust that took him where he, he went and took another man's wife. There was the Goliath of pride where he counted all his men and didn't trust in God. That knocked him down. There was the Goliath of injustice where his daughter was attacked by his son and he just let it happen and didn't do anything about it. David himself, the hero of our story, even him, he needs a hero. Even David himself hasn't defeated all the Goliaths. We are in trouble. David is in trouble. Our hero of the story, when we read the story, we make David the hero. Our hero is flawed. Our hero needs a hero. So what are we going to do? What is David going to do? Well, luckily, just like David fought and won a victory, and his victory became his people's victory, we have a true and better David, a David who won a victory for us. A true and better David who didn't beat a giant, but beat the giant of sin. A true and better David whose victory can become our victory, who didn't risk his life, but actually gave his life for us. We have a true and better David. The hero of the story isn't David, but the hero points to the true and better David, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the hero of the story of David and Goliath. Jesus Christ, who is God left heaven and came to earth on a mission to die for our sins. And while on earth, he didn't uh, fall to one Goliath at all. He never sinned. He never messed up. He didn't allow pain. He didn't allow suffering. He didn't allow hunger. He didn't even allow death to cause him to sin. Jesus's life never once was overcome by a Goliath, but even Jesus's death overcame Goliath. Even Jesus's death overcame sin. By Jesus's death, we all can be forgiven of our sins. See, what's amazing is Jesus didn't stay dead. Death couldn't beat him. Even the Goliath of death and sin in the grave and the weight of all our sins on him couldn't defeat him. Our God is so much better than David because he can accomplish anything. He can overcome the greatest Goliath, and he did overcome the greatest Goliath, which is all of our sins. Jesus died for you. He died for me. And so now because of that, his victory can become our victory. 
See, Jesus won a victory over death, sin, and the grave. And now because of that, we all can be forgiven of our sins. See, Jesus' victory was just like Tom's victory. It was just like David's victory. It wasn't just a victory for him, but it was a victory for all of us. See, our God, like I said, is perfectly just. And so because he's perfectly just, he must have punishment for the crime or else he would become unjust. But our God is also perfectly merciful. He's perfectly gracious and perfectly loving. And so what we see is at the cross is a beautiful moment when grace and mercy and justice all collide. Where Jesus takes on the punishment we deserve, but offers his mercy and grace and offers us a reward that only he deserves. That's what's so amazing about our God is that he is perfectly just, but yet he still makes a way for us to know him. Jesus was the true and better David for us. Jesus is the real hero of the story. And when we read the the story of David and Goliath, oftentimes we think we need to be David. We need to slay the Goliath. But who we are in that story is actually Israel. We are the people in need of a hero. Even David isn't the true or better David in the story. Even David needs a hero. Every, um, the gospel reveals to us that Jesus is our true and better David. That Jesus defeated the biggest giant of sin so that we can be the smaller giants in our life that we face. Jesus is the true and better David. We can't be the true or better David. Even David couldn't be the true and better David. So why do we spend our lives trying so hard? To be God. Why do we spend our lives so hard trying to slay all the Goliaths on our own? Why do we do that? Because we never can do it on our own. We'll always fail. We'll always fall short. I think many of the reasons so many of our grads when they leave high school and go into college don't follow Christ is because they spent their whole life never relying on God. I think many of the reasons so many of us struggle with following God is because our living out our Christian walk is because we've never made we've never started following God ourselves that we don't follow God. We make ourselves God. I think the reason that so many of us struggle with our faith is that because we don't follow God, we make ourselves God. Now, some of you are thinking, like, I never once told anyone I was God. Ask my wife. She definitely will tell you I'm not God. Some of you are thinking that. But we don't do it in the sense that we say we're God, but we do it by the way we live our lives. See, many of us here today take on the role of God where we try to live perfect lives. We try to earn heaven by the good things we do. And we think, as long as I do enough good things, I can get to heaven. And our focus is on doing a lot of good things and trying to not do the bad things. But ultimately, we always fail. When we do that, we take on the role of God. But when we do that, we say that we can be our own saviors. We're saved by the good things we do, not by the amazing thing that Jesus did. And so when we live that way, and the reason I think many of us struggle with our walks is because we've never decided to follow God. We've always just made ourselves God. We've always just tried to earn our way into heaven. And so that's why when our grads go off to college or when we go into the real world, we struggle with sin because the God we worship is ourselves and our good deeds, not the God who died for us. And the God of ourselves isn't strong enough to defeat temptation on their own. That's why we always fell into temptation because we're leaning on our strength and not on Jesus's strength. That's the reason why, why when suffering comes, we think our God, where are you? Because the God we worship is actually ourselves and not the God who died for us and can make us victorious. 
And so we often do this. We take on the role of God, which is a role we're incredibly unqualified for. Has anyone ever seen someone in a job that they were clearly unqualified for? Anyone ever worked with someone like that where you're like, this guy should not be here? Well, there was a time where I was incredibly unqualified for a job. When I was 21 years old, we went to Haiti um, to, for a missions trip. And so what we were going to do was it was a construction trip. So we were going to build churches and build schools. And the job that I was assigned was to know if you can put the picture up on the screen, all that siding. That was my job on each side of the building to just drill in the siding. Now, here was the problem. At 21 years old, I had never once used the power tool. The closest I had ever gotten to using a power tool was one time I handed the power tool to my dad, and then he drilled it in, and I washed. That was my power tool experience. But I thought, you know what? I'm a pretty smart guy. I can figure out a drill. And so I was looking at the beams, and I thought, these beams are stronger than wood beams. So what that probably means is you have to push harder to get the dr- so that the drill will drill the screw in. So I was like, all right, here's what I'll do. I'll try to push it in as hard as I can, and hopefully that will work. So I put the screw on the drill, and I went to sh- and I shoved the drill in, and my screw went, and went flying the other direction. And so my first thought was, okay, I must have not pushed hard enough. So this time, I reached back all the way here, and I go, and the screw goes flying again. And I'm like, what is going on? And I look, and there's these Haitian kids that are saying words, which I can only guess are, look at the stupid white boy. I have no idea what they're actually saying. And so I'm like, all right, whatever, I'm going to show them. So I reach back, and I go even further, and I go, poof, and the screw starts flying. And I go, boom, boom, and screws are flying everywhere. The Haitian kids are on the floor laughing. And I look, and so is my brother-in-law. He's cracking up. My brother-in-law, who is a man, mechanic, had been sitting watching me for like five to ten minutes, making a fool of myself. And he finally comes over to me, and he says, hey, bro. I just want you to know you have to start slower so the screw can get in and then push hard and then it will screw through. And then after he told me that, he goes, why don't you hold the pieces up while I drill in all the the screws? It was very embarrassing, but I quickly submitted to his authority. (laughs) My my brother-in-law, that was a great way to start off our relationship. And um, I held held them up while he screwed them all in. And that's why the church is still there today. But it's so funny how I understood that I was unqualified for the job, so I was quickly willing to allow the qualified person to step up and to take control. But oftentimes with God, we don't do that. The job that we're least qualified for, being God, is the job that we take on ourselves. It's the job that we try to do. Why is it that we struggle with allowing God to be our God? If we try to defeat all the Goliaths on our own, if we try to be the God of our own lives, we'll fail over and over again. We will become, we will run out of motivation when we're motivated by just doing the right thing. We will become discouraged when we fail because we know ultimately we will always fail. We can't overcome temptation with our own strength. If you want to overcome the Goliaths in your life, if you desire to follow God, then look to Jesus who can come and open our hearts and give us the strength to follow him and to overcome the Goliaths. If you want to overcome the Goliaths in your life, build a relationship with Jesus Christ and be encouraged that the the God who defeated the ultimate Goliath for you, which is sin and death, is the God that's helping you defeat the Goliaths that you face in your life. We can turn to Jesus. When we turn to Jesus, we can and we won't run out of motivation when we're motivated by the gospel. 
We won't become discouraged when we fail because we know that Jesus won the ultimate victory for us and we can't overcome the temptation because Jesus is our strength. Now, some of you here today are just like, okay, that was cool. Some of you have been ignoring everything, kind of half listening. You're, you think it's kind of funny that Christians here need a crutch like God. Some of you here today are only here because um, you're a graduate and your parents forced you to come down. And, you, and you're one of those graduates who's so excited to leave the house. So, Or maybe you're just a student that can't wait till you graduate because you think life will be so much better without God. Life will be so much better when you don't have to pretend to be um, a Christian anymore in your house. Some of you are here in the service today because your wife nagged you and you eventually gave in. Some of you are here today because... Your friends and family have kept asking you and asking you and asking you to come, and you finally gave in, and today you're just appeasing them by showing up. Or maybe you're not sure why you're here today, but what you are sure of is that the whole true and better David thing sounds really ridiculous, and you think it's funny that other people need a God to lean on. When you yourself don't need a God, you don't need the God crutch to get you through life. Well, my question for you guys today is if you're honest with yourself, do you really believe that you don't worship, that there isn't anything you worship? Do you really believe that there's not anything you lean on when you when lean on in your life to overcome the Goliaths? My guess is that you do have a God, that you do rely on something, that you do lean on something, but you just aren't calling it a God, that you aren't sure what it is. So think about this, is when trials come, when tough things happen in your life, when there's a Goliath you need to conquer, what do you find yourself doing? What do you find yourself leaning on? When a crisis comes, do you find yourself spending tons of money to help you feel better? Then your true and better, David, is money. When a crisis comes, do you find yourself hanging out with friends all the time? Then your, your true or better, David, is your friends. Do you find yourself looking for an easy date when trials come your way? Then your true or better, David, is sex. Do you find yourself getting drunk? Then your true or better, David, is alcohol. Do you find yourself working extra hours? Then your true and better, David, is success. What is the thing that you believe would make all, all the problems of your life go away? What is the thing that you thought, if I just had this, my life would be perfect? That thing is your true and better David. That thing has become your God. You may say that you don't need to rely on God, but you've made the things you rely on your God. And, and what's crazy is, what's, what's crazy is your God won't ever be good enough. When you rely on those other things, your God will never be enough. Alcohol will never be enough. Money will never be enough. Friends will never be enough. Your spouse will never be enough. Whatever you rely on will never be enough. There is only one true and better David. There is only one God that can meet all of your needs. It's the God who came and died for you. When you try to overcome all the Goliaths with these other things, what you're doing is you're making those other things God, which is a role they're incredibly unqualified for. So why not turn to the God who will never leave you or forsake you? Why not turn to the God who loves you and cares for you? Why not turn to the God who won't reject you? Why not turn to the true or better David that can defeat all the Goliaths in your life? The gospel reveals that Jesus Christ defeated the ultimate Goliath when he came and died for our sin, and he can help you defeat all the Goliaths in your life if you choose to follow him. I'm going to close with these questions, or I'm going to close with this. To those of you here asking and thinking, how can I follow God? How can I follow God when things get tough, when there's suffering, when temptation comes? How can I continue to follow God? And I would say, stop trying to be David 
but turn to the true and better David who loves you so much that he came and died for you. Spend your time seeking a relationship with Jesus Christ rather than seeking a way to beat all the temptation. Allow the true or better David to help beat the temptation for you. Know that Jesus' victory is your victory. Just like Tom's victory was the charity's victory. Just like David's victory was Israel's victory. Jesus' victory on the cross was your victory too. Trust him and follow him. And to those here today thinking, when I leave the church, do I want to follow God? To those grads or maybe students that think, when I get out of my parents' house, will I want to follow God? I want you guys to know that you have made something your God. You do worship something. Why not worship the one thing that can actually save you? Right now, with everyone's head bowed and everyone's eyes closed, I want you to think through those questions and think, who, where are you? Are you someone that's struggling with being your, the God yourselves? Are you someone who struggles with always trying to be perfect and live up to a certain image, and you realize that you need to allow Jesus to be God in your life? Or are you here and you realize that you've made so many other things your God? Wherever you are, Jesus wants to be your true and better David. Jesus wants to be the God that meets your needs, the God that can help you slay your Goliaths. Will you guys turn to him? Let's pray. God, thanks for winning the ultimate victory on the cross for our sins. Thank you for your your justice and your mercy. We pray today that those who are struggling uh, to follow you, that you would allow them to be to you would allow them to have strength in you, that they would find their strength in you, that you would be with them. And for those here today, God, that are trying to decide, do they want to follow you? I pray that your your gospel message would penetrate their hearts and their minds, and that they would find you, that they would love you, that they would turn to the one thing that can actually defeat the Goliaths in their life. We love you so much, and we're grateful for all you've done and all you'll do. We pray it in your name. Amen. So leave today not with the thought of, I need to be David, but leave today thinking, I need to follow the true and better David. You guys are dismissed. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless.